Pastor Dave spent a bit of time a few weeks ago back in 1 Peter 3 addressing some of what we'll dig at together today, uh, but I hope to expound on it from a few different passages. Um, it's not Father's Day specific, and that's because as much as we are grateful for you men, our fathers are not the object of our worship on this Sunday morning, so we will look to the Word of God together from John chapter 13. So would you pray with me? Loving Father, thank you for the kindness that you've shown us, just in allowing us to wake up this morning and take another breath. Thank you for the beauty of today, not because there's blue skies and sunshine outside, because there's not, but there's beauty in today because you have created it and we want to rejoice in it. There's beauty in it because we can get together and uh, worship you and point one another to the person of Jesus, the work that he did on the cross, and to celebrate with those who are being baptized. There's just so much beauty in this day. So we give you thanks for it, and I pray, God, that uh, as we look to your word together, that you would be glorified. Um, Again, I pray that you would protect my mouth from saying anything that would take away from all that you are and all that you intend to say through these words. Grow us in the image of Jesus, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to submit to you this morning that one of the greatest sadnesses, if that's a word, I'm not sure, making it up maybe, sadnesses, in history, or in the history of the church specifically, has to be disunity within the body of Christ. It's not new to our generation. Um, As a matter of fact, it goes back to the early days of the church after its conception at Pentecost in Acts chapter two. I hope that you would all agree with me that it was never God's purpose or God's intent for there to be so many different churches, so many different denominations uh, or differing church groups. But our sin and our pride False teaching and the embracing of false teachings um, has led us to, to the disunity within the body of Christ, the church globally, okay, so not, this is not true life church specific, the church globally and where we are living here today. Now granted, uh, within the current culture and, and the different church cultures and different types of churches of various styles and uh, various worship styles and preaching styles or uh, biblical beliefs, there is a place for different people to gather in different places doing things differently to the glory of God. God in his mercy continues to use his church uh, to accomplish his purpose to grow his kingdom in spite of us. Amen? For this morning, I would like for us to focus here at home. In a metaphorical sense, if someone were to take a bird's eye view of the Kennebecasis Valley and its churches and the body of Christ that gathers here at True Life Church, what would they see? I've been asking myself that question for a few weeks as I've been thinking about this morning. I'm relatively new-ish still to the area. I've been here a little over three years. Um, But here are a few things that I have heard and learned along the way concerning the relationship between churches, 
some churches, and the relationship between certain folks within, both within the church and in differing churches. There's many good things, but also not very good things. There's joy, there's generosity, there's care, there's friendship, there's kindness, there is love. There's also bitterness and selfishness and gossip, pride. There are differences in beliefs concerning what the Bible teaches that divide us. Now, listen, in some cases that is necessary. As some churches in this area do not preach a gospel of salvation that is gifted by grace through faith in Jesus alone. Some do not hold to a high view of the Bible, uh, nor do they hold a high view of God. And since we here at True Life Church do hold to those beliefs, then from such churches we should be distinct. There should be differences. That being said, um, for these churches and their individuals, some who may be represented here today if you're visiting, who do hold true to a gospel-centered, preaching, Christ-exalting belief of the church, there may still be certain differences um, that distinguish, maybe that's the better word, that distinguish themselves from one another, but that should not be divisive. All right, I'm just trying to lay that foundation before I get into it. This is not something that I've sat back and observed the body of True Life Church thinking, man, nobody here treats each other properly or kindly, uh, so I'm gonna speak on this subject, not at all. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I consider myself greatly blessed to be a part of the body of True Life Church where I see an incredible amount of the beautiful things that I've just read about. Uh, nevertheless, we're not exempt. We're not exempt, I'm not exempt anyway, so if you all don't fall under this category, then just I'll preach this message back to me this morning because I definitely need it. The body of Christ is one body. And you and I were called to, as a matter of fact, we're, we're commanded by Jesus to love one another and to live in unity. But there's brokenness, there's offenses, there's a history of pain that can lead to bitterness and division, harboring hard feelings and withholding of forgiveness. I mean, I, I could go on. But at the center of a united body, at the core of the church, both globally and locally, right here, everything the body, within the body of Christ should stem from a love for Jesus and a love for one another. Now that sounds like a huge task, because it is. But I wanna tell you that the answer is really simple. I'm gonna show you how. You're in John chapter 13. I just wanna read a few verses to start and then we'll back up and give it some context to build. So start with me, John chapter 13, from verse 34. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Interesting facts. The Bible contains many different references to one another, 
all the way from Genesis chapter 11 and verse three to Revelation chapter 11 and verse 10. It makes 26 different positive one another statements. Just a few of them that highlight unity. There's care for one another. There's be at peace with one another. Be like-minded. Serve one another. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Confess one to another. Pray for one another. Fellowship with one another. Wash one another's feet. Any takers? And love one another. It's good to note that the term one another uh, is always used in the New Testament either regarding Jesus and his disciples in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or for the local church from Acts to Revelation. One another is a term of partnership. It's a term of fellowship. It's a term of discipleship. Um, one another is also a term of leadership because it takes one person to step forward and get the ball rolling, to start the momentum, like in a, in a row of dominoes. I don't know if kids still do that. Um, you know, line up all the dominoes and you knock one down to see if you can create this really cool pattern. The first one has to move, and his leadership moves the entire setup to produce something that's exciting, to produce something that's fun, to produce something that's beautiful to watch. And of all these different one another statements, I believe the one that most clearly encompasses all of them is love one another. And it's found 16 times in the New Testament. You're in John 13. So I'm going to read back from verse 1 to 15 to give you some context as to why Jesus was saying this to the disciples. John chapter 13 and verse 1. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now by the time of supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So Jesus got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel, tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterward you will know. You'll never wash my feet ever, Peter said. Such a Peter thing. Jesus replies, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. Well, then Peter goes on. Well, then, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands, my head. You know, wash all of me because I want to be all part of you. Verse 10. One who is bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet because he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, you are not all clean. Verse 12, he gets into the meaning of this foot washing. He says, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and this is well, because I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do 
just as I have done for you. Scoot ahead to verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God would also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I tell you, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So the task is huge, but the answer is simple. The task is to go into all the world and make disciples, to reach the world for Christ. And Jesus here sets the stage and pattern of what the best way to go about that is, and that is to display love for one another. It sounds simple, but Jesus says if and only if, it's conditional, there is this evident love for one another within the body of Christ, the whole world will know that we are his disciples, that we are his followers. So what Jesus is saying ultimately is, you want to be a church that's compelling to the community, that's compelling to the watching world? Love one another. Strip all of this away. Strip anything away. But keep the word of God and a family that loves one another. And it is one of the most powerful witnesses to the watching world. The task is huge, but the answer is simple. Love one another. Why is this so crucial to unity within the body? And how do we go about doing that? Well, Jesus here gives us one example. And that example is this. You gain only when you give yourself away. You gain only when you give yourself away. In verses one to five, and then 12 to 17, within the context of this foot washing, Jesus' own awareness is really an important part of this foot washing. Verses three and four says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, it's literally into his hands, in his control, and that he had come from God, and that he was returning to God. So here in the words of John, that John uses, is a description of Jesus' identity in his relationship to his father. This knowledge doesn't just give Jesus the, the, the security to wash the disciples' feet, but it's what actually leads him to wash what surely were some pretty nasty feet. We have the luxury of socks and shoes, which they did not, let's be real. Jesus says in John 5, chapter 19, that he only does what he sees the Father doing. And this foot washing can't be an, an exception to that rule. John 5, 19, Jesus says, truly I tell you, the Son, himself, is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. 
For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. So this act of of serving, this act of loving others through giving yourself away is something that is exemplified from God the Father. And John's instruction to this event ensures that we understand first, God's glory is revealed in Jesus in this sign. This is what God himself is like. He washes feet even the feet of those who would betray him. Verse four, so Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer garment, took off his robe, and wrapped a towel around his waist. So in in an event that is not foreign to the disciples, and we've talked about this a number of times over the past few months, if you attend regularly, but this is the Passover meal, so it's not something that is new to them, but what Jesus is bringing about within it is very unexpected. And it's amazing. And it confuses the heck out of them. Jesus takes on the demeanor of a servant getting ready to wash his disciples' feet, and then he gently pats them dry with his towel. Look at verses six to nine with me again. I hear this awesome sound that I'm causing. I'm sorry, Ken. Verses six to nine. He comes to Peter, to Simon Peter, who asks him, Lord, are you washing? Are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't understand right now but afterwards you will know. Peter's like, now you'll never wash my feet. Jesus answers, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. So Peter said to him, Lord, then not only my feet, but also wash my hands and my feet. It's, it's this attempt by Peter to, uh, to show his love, but it's, it's defective. He's like, no. He has such a respect and uh, an awe for his teacher, for Jesus. He says, no, you shouldn't be the one washing my feet. I should be washing your feet. Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And then Peter kicks into Peter mode. and He's like, then wash all of me. And Jesus says, no, you, you still don't get it. You're already clean. He was one of Jesus' called disciples. Peter can't stand the thought of his rabbi, his teacher, doing the work of a slave. It would have seemed more appropriate uh, for one of the disciples to have washed Jesus' feet. As a matter of fact, it would have been more appropriate for all of the disciples to take turns washing Jesus' feet. I would think. But the reverse seems really intolerable to Peter. But like I said, this, his response actually does express his love Um, It's just a defective love. It lacks humility, which is one of the essential attributes of discipleship, according to the gospel of Jesus. Humility is the very thing demonstrated in what Jesus is in the middle of doing. And Peter's response, (laughs) we see much of ourselves. We see pride. We see Uh, self-will that is at the heart of all of our sin. 
But Jesus realizes this and their current ignorance. So he says to them, look, you don't realize what I'm doing right now. But later, he literally means after these things, his betrayal, his crucifixion, his resurrection, you will understand. Still, uh, this seems, this is an example that is set before us from the one that we call Lord, the one that we call master in how to serve others. It's loving, serving humility. So Jesus is going around to each disciple one at a time, like he says, including Judas, who had not betrayed him yet, and Peter, who would deny him, and the others who would scatter when stuff gets tough, just a little bit later that night. These are the men that Jesus served by washing their feet and loved by washing their feet. Jesus knew, and it's extremely important to recognize and to realize that Jesus is going to wash the feet of the one he loved and invested time into, yet would eventually turn him over to be crucified. Listen, we are not called to love and serve only those who do us good. As tempting as it is, and as easy as it is to love just those who love you, we are not called or commanded to love and serve only those who do us good. Naturally, most of us like to be on the receiving end of serving, right? My feet need serious washing. Not only my feet, but all of me, like Peter. Someone serving us. Someone doing things for us, catering to our needs, coming to me for forgiveness, to get over themselves and wash my feet. But like Peter, that's our sinful human nature that's creeping up and taking over one of the most important parts of our lives as believers, followers of Jesus. And that is to be genuinely loving towards one another. Lee Strobel has this book called God's Outrageous Claims. If you can ever get your hands on it, it's amazing. I wanna read for you a little bit from that book. He says, even though the concepts of raw power and lowly servanthood appear to contradict each other, both qualities unquestionably reside in God. Ultimately, God is a servant because God is love. And love by its very nature involves the giving of oneself. In fact, that's the essence of Christ's life as described in Philippians chapter two, which the message paraphrase puts this way. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Jesus had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what, not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a servant, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and died a selfless, 
obedient death. The worst kind of death at that, the crucifixion. Outrageous? Absolutely. If you had no idea who Jesus was before sitting in here today, and this is what I told you about Jesus, you would rightfully think that he's either incredibly amazing or crazy. He's amazing. He did all of this out of love. And that's just the beginning of the story. Because Jesus then asks you and I to do something just as crazy. He wants us to do the exact same thing. If I had a towel, this is where I would do the prop moment, throw it over my shoulder, walk around to make an emphatic point, but I can't do that. Walk, that is. Um, but having towel, you're allowed to laugh at those things if I make the joke, okay? Yeah. Having towel dried the last of his disciples' feet, Jesus turned to those assembled and said these words. I have given you, verse 15, I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. Jesus says, do as I have done. Give yourself away and gain everything. Not for selfish physical gain, which we tend to kind of gravitate towards, but for an endless spiritual gain to display the glory of the God who resides in us, to display the glory of God, to be a witness of the beauty of God to your spouse, to your family, to your church, to your community, to this county, to our country, and to the world. It's, I'm not making this up. Jesus says this kind of love for one another will cause the world to know that we are his. Here's another quote from Lee Strobel in that book, God's Outrageous Claims. It's understandable that we would want to worship God for his willingness to be a servant so we could be forgiven and reconciled with him. But as counterintuitive as it sounds, we also ought to be thanking him for inviting us into this loving others lifestyle. Because in the end, that is where we'll find the kind of soul satisfaction that we would otherwise miss if we merely lived to indulge ourselves. I'm gonna read that again. It's understandable that we would want to worship God for his willingness to be a servant so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to him. But as counterintuitive as it sounds, we also ought to be thanking him for inviting us into this loving others lifestyle. Now listen here. Because in the end, that is where we will find the kind of soul satisfaction that we would otherwise miss if we merely lived to indulge ourselves. 
Brothers and sisters, we are created in the image of God, and we're called to be imitators of Christ for the edifying of the church and the growing of God's kingdom across the world. If my serving others is based on love and the actions that would come from love, it's important for me to always remember this statement made by Jesus, which we read in the beginning. By this, verse 35 of John 13, by this what? By this love for one another, all people, who's all people? It's all people. Will know that you are my disciples. Condition, if you have love for one another. I can give lip service and say I love you to people till I'm blue in the face, but it's not until my life shows them that I do that, I will, that it will actually uh, make it believable and leave a lasting, God-reorienting impact. Because my loving others should not be in order to turn people's gaze towards me. It ought to reorient their focus to the person of Jesus. Love is the badge of a follower of Jesus. By this love, Jesus knows his disciples. By this love, the disciples may know each other. And by this love, the whole world may know us. The whole world will know. One of the greatest turnoffs or the greatest repellent to the effectiveness of the gospel being proclaimed in any community is the reputation of the relationships among believers within a church and or from different churches, okay? One of the greatest repellents to the effectiveness of the gospel being proclaimed in any community is the reputation of the relationships among believers within a church and or from other churches. We need to be able to say, Father, forgive us for stooping this low and marring your name in this community. Here's what's just as powerful, if not more powerful, to the watching world. It's a love that is patient, love that is kind, that is not envious, is not boastful, is not conceited, does not act improperly, is not selfish, it's not easily provoked, does not keep record of wrongs. Okay, let, let's just park on that one for a sec. We do that really well, keeping records of wrongs. Love, genuine love, love that is not birthed out of any self-discipline or strength of will, but love that is birthed through the supernatural presence of God in my life does not keep record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. All things, really, God? Maybe just like some things? 
It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things and endures all things. It never fails. It never ends. That was 1 Corinthians 13, by the way. So to bring this to a conclusion for us this morning, I've said the answer seems simple, but the task is huge and impossible to live up to on our own strength. It is only, thankfully, by the power of God himself through the Holy Spirit that lives within you that we can grow to love this way. Brothers and sisters, may we be known for our love for one another. First, it's a command that we need to strive to obey, but also because there's no greater witness to a lost and dying world. The world is chaotic, it's broken. You don't have to look very far to see that. So God sets this incredible pattern. God showed his love, proved his love, demonstrated his love in this way, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Christ, who died for us, demonstrated his love in this way. He washed his disciples' feet, served them and loved them, and said to them, you must love one another as I have loved you. It seems like a tall order, but it's, it's vital to, to our personal spiritual growth and well-being, but it's also vital for the, the thriving of the church, not just the surviving of the church. We don't want to be a church that's just surviving week to week. We want to be a church that is thriving in love and growing in love and impacting this community in love. A church that is just surviving is actually dying. It's vital to the thriving of the body of Christ. If Christ is the head, which he is, then love is the heartbeat that keeps the body alive. That those around us and the whole world know that loving as God loves is our pursuit because we are followers of Jesus Christ. I leave you with Romans chapter 13 and verse eight. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. If you wanna know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, look how Jesus lived. Look to Jesus. The task is huge, the answer is simple. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another.